Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Recently, the World Health Organization has released a new study that links alcohol with cancer. Now, this isn't a new finding, but it reinforces that there may be risks around drinking that many of us don't know about. Alcohol has been identified as a carcinogen, which can mutate DNA and lead to different forms of cancer. In recent years, the link between cancer and humans is raising some alarm bells and begging the question, should we be more informed about alcohol's risks? Alcohol is a very common part of socializing in Canada, and in particular, in Newfoundland and Labrador. We celebrate our favorite occasions with a glass of champagne, have a beer watching the game, or open a bottle of wine at a dinner party. Well, in today's episode, we'll focus on how much of a risk does this actually pose to us, and if it is cancer-causing, how come only one-third of Canadians are aware of that fact? Well, I wanted to find out more, so to get more information, I reached out to the Canadian Cancer Society National Office, and they connected me with Elizabeth Holmes, who's their Senior Manager of Health Policy. They also introduced me to Nancy McKay, who's the Chair of the Board of the Canadian Cancer Society in New Brunswick, and a longtime participant in their event called Dry February, which encourages people from abstaining from alcohol for the month in order to raise awareness and funding for research. Let's check out those conversations. Hi, Elizabeth. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for coming on. It's always great when we get a chance to talk to experts around topics that are really relevant. And one of the things that's been popping up in the news lately is the link between alcohol and cancer. Now, you're at the Canadian Cancer Society. So before we get into that topic, can you tell me a bit about yourself and what the Canadian Cancer Society actually does? Absolutely. Uh, so my name is Elizabeth and I'm Senior Manager of Health Policy here at the Canadian Cancer Society. And really the Canadian Cancer Society is, is committed to uniting people and inspiring Canadians to take control of cancer. And so my team really works to ensure that our messaging is evidence informed for both for individuals as well as supporting our advocacy colleagues to ad advocate for evidence informed policies. That's excellent. And that's really what it's about today, too, is getting the right information because you are an expert in this and this is what you deal with and you're up to date on the current literature. And that's the link that we're going to talk about today. It's been all over the media lately that alcohol is linked to cancer. I think we probably assumed that alcohol wasn't great for us, but what do you see and what is the Canadian Cancer Society saying about this link? Yeah, there's certainly been a lot of misconceptions about alcohol and health, I'm going to say, over the years. But really, when it comes to alcohol and cancer, uh, any type or amount of alcohol increases your risk of cancer. And it's about seven cancers. So uh, the head and neck cancers, which we consider kind of your, your mouth, your throat, and your larynx, esophageal, then breast, stomach, pancreatic, colorectal, and liver cancers are all linked to uh, alcohol consumption. Yeah, that's surprising when liver isn't the highest, because I think most people assume, okay, it's really bad for our liver, but you talk about head and neck types of cancers being the highest. Was that something that was sort of surprising to you when you saw the research? I think certainly when I first started at the Canadian Cancer Society, it was um, interesting to see that it wasn't in the top, but really the oral cavity and, you know, kind of the mouth, the throat, the esophageal, those ones make sense as well. Mm -hmm. um, and for those head and neck, the liver ones, it really is the, the relative risk is higher for heavy drinkers of alcohol, but really there is no safe level of alcohol consumption. Uh, and really what we talk about is the less you drink, the more you reduce your risk. That's right. And so how does alcohol actually cause cancer? Is there a biochemical thing happening there? 
Yeah, certainly what happens is alcoholic beverages is, has ethanol in them and our bodies breaks it down like we do a lot of things that we consume and it breaks into something called acetaldehyde. And then we further break it down as we're processing in our body into acetate. And both the ethanol and the acetaldehyde are known to cause cancer in humans by damaging our DNA and stopping our cells from repairing damage. And our cells can repair a lot of damage, um, but it's really that increase in exposure and you know that one time that they're not able to uh, repair something, that damage can occur and possibly become cancer. The fact is, the less alcohol you drink, the lower your risk for cancer. Drinking alcohol raises your risk of getting six particular kinds of cancer, mouth and throat, voice box or larynx, esophageal, colon and rectum, liver, and breast cancer in women. Although alcoholic drinks, including red and white wine, beer and liquor are linked with cancer, the more you drink, the higher your risk of cancer. Now, when you drink alcohol, your body breaks it down into a chemical called acetaldehyde. Acetaldehyde damages your DNA and prevents your body from repairing this damage. DNA is the cell's instruction manual that controls a cell's normal growth and function. Now, when DNA is damaged, a cell can begin to grow out of control and create a cancer tumor. With rates of alcohol consumption going up across the country, it may not be surprising that almost 43% of Canadians drink alcoholic beverages a few times a week, and about 50% of Canadians drink beer weekly, and about 25% drink three or more glasses of wine per week. Two in five Canadians spend at least $50 a month on alcohol, while close to one to five spend over $100 a month. But here's the good news. For those people that decide to have a dry month away from alcohol, 95% of participants experience positive health benefits, including feeling healthier and energized, as well as improving physical health and sleeping better. Now with short days and dark mornings and dark evenings, I think we can all use a bit of energy. Just some food for thought. Let's get back to the interview. Okay, that's, that's interesting. So it mutates cells into cancer-causing cells or cancer cells that then start to go and play havoc within the body. I think that, you know, before we go a little bit deeper in the alcohol, like, can you explain really how cancer occurs in the body and what it really does? Because the way I've been described is that cancer cells think they're right, so they're starting to take over thinking that they're the right cells, and that's why they spread throughout the body. How does that actually work? Yeah, essentially our, our body is made up of trillions of cells to make our issues and our organs. And they tell, you know, genes in our cells tell cells how to grow, when to divide, you know, if you get a cut, how to heal. And they follow these instructions when we stay healthy. And then when there's a change in our DNA, that's when a gene can mutate. And these mutated genes, they don't work as well. They don't follow those instructions, almost like a little recipe for, for our DNA, and they get mixed up. And so this causes those cells that should be made be resting, just, you know, hanging out to divide and grow out of control. And that leads to cancer. Hmm. Yeah. And I think that's really important for people to understand that there's so much information out there these days. You guys have done a lot of work and, and you guys have been involved in studies, in particular, one called a compare study that looks specifically at these sort of cancer causing risk. Can you tell me a bit about that study? Yeah, it's one of um, the things I'm most proud of for working with the Canadian Cancer Society. And essentially, it is funded by the Canadian Cancer Society. And then it was also a really special grant where it had staff from the Canadian Cancer Society embedded on the research team. And so we worked with teams across the country in Alberta and Quebec and Ontario. And really, this 
COMPARE stands for the Canadian Population Attributable Risk of Cancer Study. And the goal was to estimate the number and the percentage of cancer cases in Canada uh, due to more than 20 modifiable lifestyle risk factors, um, environmental risk factors, and infectious agent risk factors, really for a snapshot in time, looking at 2015, but then also asking that question, if we change the trends for risk factors through prevention efforts, um, what could, how could we affect the number of cancer cases in the future up to 2042? Mm -hmm. and, and so let's go through some of those uh, risk factors right now. Alcohol falls around number eight on that list from what I was reading. But what are some of the other factors people can look out for? So not surprisingly, tobacco is the leading modifiable risk factor for cancer. So really that conversation that if you're going to do anything for your health um, and to reduce your cancer risk to live smoke-free, but rounding out the top five are things like physical inactivity, excess weight, um, low vegetables and fruit, exposure to sun and HPV. Right. Well, that's, yeah, those are a lot of factors that I think people know aren't great for them. It's, I always say about smoking, it's one of the few things that if you follow the directions on how to do it, it's guaranteed to make you sick. It's very dangerous and uh, it's impacted a lot of people's lives in particular when it comes to cancer. Let's stick with the alcohol side of things because that's something that a lot of us have exposure to. And we've all probably heard before that, you know, it's okay to have one glass of wine a day or, you know, a little bit of alcohol is actually good for us. Maybe they used to tell pregnant women to drink Guinness, keep the birth weight of the child down. So, you know, what's the truth around that? Yeah, and it's over essentially for over 30 years, uh, the International Agency for Research on Cancer has considered alcohol to be a group one carcinogen, something that we know that causes cancer. But in the last few years, we've you know checked in with Canadian population to see, you know, are they aware of this link? And only about one third of respondents were aware that there was an increased uh, cancer risk associated with alcohol consumption. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, this this is a concern for us, certainly. Um, because on the flip side, when the public is informed, when the attitudes, you know, they're aware that it increases cancer risk, then the attitudes towards evidence-informed policy shift. And we also hope that there's, you know, a decrease in that alcohol consumption or just that, you know, thinking twice before, you know, drinking or drinking excessively. Today, we're talking about the link between alcohol consumption and cancer with Elizabeth Holmes, who is the Senior Manager of Health Policy at the Canadian Cancer Society. She's sharing what we need to know to make informed decisions around consuming alcohol and reducing our risk. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. Today, we're talking about the link between alcohol consumption and cancer with Elizabeth Holmes, who's the Senior Manager of Health Policy at the Canadian Cancer Society. She's sharing what we need to know to make informed decisions around consuming alcohol and reducing our risk of cancer. Let's check it out. Now, the pandemic has also brought light to the fact that we migrate to alcohol when we are stressed and maybe bored. What's happened with drinking and alcohol consumption during the pandemic? Yeah, so we've done surveys both last year in advance of our Dry Feb campaign and this year again, and we found the same results that Canadians are continuing to drink more as a result of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. So more than one in three Canadians uh, who consume alcohol have been drinking more since the onset of the, the pandemic. Uh, and in particular, individuals who drink alcohol at least a few times a week were more likely to report drinking more during the mm -hmm. pandemic. And so, you know, these are our survey results, but they are a snapshot of, you know, 
people who uh, who drink alcohol and showing that increase in, in, in consumption. So that's certainly a concern for us. And, you know, our Dry Fab campaign helps raise awareness about the link between alcohol and cancer. Uh, and certainly we continue to integrate that into our work to just ensure that people, uh, Canadians are aware that increase in alcohol consumption can lead to an increased risk in cancer. That's right. We're going to talk about the Dry February campaign because I think it's important. And, you know, from a wellness perspective, which is what we talk about on this show all the time, for me, it was really enlightening that people migrate towards alcohol instead of doing the things that maybe could relieve stress in a healthy way. And so there is a health literacy aspect to this. And do you think that people having maybe a poor lifestyle because they were trapped inside or they were drinking more, they were eating the wrong foods and taking a lot of takeout because going to the grocery store was even difficult. Do you think that's led to greater health awareness and health literacy in the population? I hope so. Um, you know, it's certainly part of our mandate to um, promote health literacy and to increase awareness about the, these risk behaviors. Uh, and, you know, certainly the pandemic has impacted our lives in, in ways that we can measure and are monitoring um, and in ways that we'll continue to see after the pandemic. So it is something that Canadian Cancer Society is keeping aware of. And we know that others are, are measuring as well, you know, because if it's a point in time, that's a concern. But if these, uh, these trends and behaviors continue after the pandemic is actually when will have greater concern. And we do know that, you know, obviously alcohol has an addiction component to it and it is a habit that people can get into and out of. So if they stay in this habit, that can, that can cause some issues going forward. You know, before we talk about the rates that of cancer that could happen if people continue with this trend, you know, what other impacts does alcohol have on our health? Yeah. And so there's been, you know, studies that you know, link, you know, drinking a drink a day to reduce risk of heart or a disease or other disease. But I really want to highlight um, for, for you, you know, everyone listening that it really is really small, often small sample sizes or very specific populations that there is health benefits. And so really that drinking for health reasons is discouraged. And so, you know, that being active and eating well and living smoke-free, reducing your alcohol consumption um, are effective ways to improve heart health and your health in, in general. Um, um, and, you know, those risks certainly, I can't speak directly to them. You know, they're, it is an addiction. Um, something that we've seen with participants in the dry Feb is that, you know, when essentially giving up alcohol for the months, they have increased energy levels, they have better concentration, they sleep better. Uh, and then also that sense of achievement and that fresh approach to alcohol consumption of really thinking about when do they have a drink and why do they have a drink and having that conversation with their community uh, about alcohol in general as, you know, that relationship we have socially with alcohol or, you know, as a stress reliever uh, and then, you know, rethinking it after participating in dry Feb. That's right. That's right. And I think that, that that is all important so people can make informed decisions on what they want. Like, for example, I, I enjoy having a glass of wine. However, I do notice that the good feeling you get from having that glass of wine does not compare to the horrible feeling you have when you aren't feeling good the next day or you're slow and your energy level is low. So it, it allows people to make better choices when it comes to that in the future. But the trends are, from what I've read, is that the number of moderate drinkers is actually increasing and that is going to pose some serious risk for people. What are the, what are the numbers saying about drinking behaviors in general? 
Yeah. So for the, the compare study, which we, we talked about earlier, uh, it looked at trends. So kind of what we consider light drinkers, moderate drinkers and heavy drinkers. And so essentially those light drinkers are moving into to moderate drinkers. And mm-hmm. so taking um, what we know about trends for drinking, what we know about the relative risk for alcohol consumption for different types of cancers, what the compare study found was that in 2015, about 3,300 new cancer cases would be due to drinking alcohol. Wow. Yeah. And that's a large number. And this is one of the things that's come up that people, uh, you know, I've talked to other people, I'm an epidemiologist, I've involved with studies and large studies uh, over the years. And one of the things is like, okay, well, people are so unique. They have so many different characteristics. There's genetics, there's environment, there's socioeconomic factors. How are people able to glean out that maybe it's alcohol causing this? Is, is it has to do with the size of the study or how does that work? Yeah. And so, you know, to that point, we definitely know that alcohol consumption varies across a wide variety of factors, including sex, age, uh, sexual orientation, socioeconomic status, and even jurisdiction. Um, And so it really is looking at that population level, right? As an epidemiologist, right? Kind of, you know, looking at those those big numbers and at that level, really not speaking to the individual risk. um, And that's something that we kind of stay away from uh, as far as, you know, why did I get cancer, you know, that that's not uh, something we encourage, but really at that big level, at that population level, the compare study was able to tell us that about four in 10 cancers could be prevented um, by healthy living and by policies that protect the health of Canadians, recognizing that individuals can only make choices within the environments and the communities that we they live in. And so really about how do we create those health enhancing environments? How do we empower people with knowledge so that they're aware of what increases their risk and how do we help them to reduce that risk uh, where they live and they work and they play? You got it. I mean, teach a person to fish, they can eat for a lifetime. And so that's the whole point with that this show really is to just give people the information so they can make their own choices. And maybe they're a little bit better as a result of listening to this. Now let's hit them with this crazy number. And that is that if people abstain from alcohol, how many cases of cancer in the country would be avoided each year? Yeah, and it's actually a different number that I'm going to share. And so it's not the abstain from alcohol that I'm going to share. It's that idea that if we if we drink less overall. And so uh, there's a couple of different guidelines. The ones that I'm going to share are the Canadian Cancer Society recommendations. So that idea that if you choose to drink, um, that you uh, limit your alcohol consumption to less than two drinks a day for men and less than one drink a day for women. And what we know from looking at those trends of light, moderate, and high-risk high drinkers is that people are drinking in excess of these cancer prevention recommendations. So if we can get Canadians who drink to limit their alcohol into the, to those uh, Canadian Cancer Society cancer prevention recommendations, then by 2042, we could prevent about 44,300 cancer cases. Wow. That's, that's a, a huge number of cases. Now, to help motivate people and sort of let them see the benefits of drinking less. And this isn't just for the whole month. It could be for two weeks. It could be for a week. It could be, could be for all February. You guys have developed what's called the dry February campaign. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, so Dry Feb is a, is a national fundraiser challenging Canadians to go alcohol-free for February while raising important funds for the Canadian Cancer Society. So it's really a win-win. It helps individuals get healthy while also raising uh, funds for the important work that we do. That's excellent. And so if I wanted to participate, how do I get involved? 
Super easy. You can uh, register at drivefab.ca. You can sign up as an individual or you can also sign up as a team, which I think is really important um, for that support um, of, you know, giving up something that you might be, be used to doing or maybe, you know, joining with the people that you might go for a drink with. So um, I've been participating in DriveFeb since it began, uh, and I've always been a mender, member of our team CCS. And so that CCS uh, colleagues um, who are all giving up alcohol together. Perfect. You've got your communications and advocacy hat on right now, but let's put it on a personal note right now. How do you feel when you have Dry February and you cut down alcohol in, in your day-to-day life? Yeah, I think it was really interesting the, the first year to reflect on when I had a drink. So I'm definitely uh, more of a social drinker, would have a drink when I went out with friends. Um, not something, you know, that I would go home and have a glass of, of wine after work on my own. And so it's been really interesting thinking of that relationship with alcohol and thinking about um the spaces that I go into and actually the really supportive family and friends and colleagues that I have, you know, that it, there was never a question of why I was not having a drink, um, but certainly a little bit of a conversation starter if I wanted it to be. And I think that's really important um, as a community and as, as Canadians, you know, to just almost denormalize that alcohol consumption, you know, that there's not that expectation that social events have or are created around alcohol. Um, but that it is really that getting together one another, whether it's in person or, or you know, right mm-hmm. now, virtually right now, you know, that it really is that, that connection that's most important and not what we do with our time. Thank you so much for taking your time today, Elizabeth. I, I really appreciate you sharing this information. I know it's something that's been top of mind for a lot of people and I encourage people to participate in the Drive February campaign, but thank you for coming on today. Oh, thanks for having me and uh, raising awareness about this important issue. That was Elizabeth Holmes, Senior Manager of Health Policy at the Canadian Cancer Society, sharing what we need to know to make informed decisions around consuming alcohol and reducing our risk of cancer. When we come back, we'll chat with the chair of the New Brunswick Canadian Cancer Society Board, Nancy McKay, who's participated in the Dry February campaign in order to raise funds for cancer research and improve health literacy around the risk of alcohol and cancer. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. We're here with Nancy McKay, chair of the Canadian Cancer Society Board in New Brunswick, who's also participated in the Dry February campaign in order to raise funds for cancer research and improve health literacy around the risk of alcohol and cancer. Let's check it out. Hi, Nancy. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm fantastic, and I'm really glad you could join me today. You're from uh, one of my home provinces where I lived for a long time, and that was in New Brunswick, and you are the chair of the board for the Canadian Cancer Society. Can you tell me a bit about your role there? Yes, I am. Uh, The Canadian Cancer Society, as many may or may not know, they have a presence in each of the provinces, and in New Brunswick, the chair really helps to work with a group of individuals that are dedicated to ensuring that there's a focus on cancer and not just management of cancer, but really that people are more aware that there is the Canadian Cancer Society that's uh, acting on our behalf. That's right. That's right. And, you know, why did you want to get involved? You've had a pretty interesting career path. So, you know, what led you to being the chair of the board? Well, I think everyone's been touched by cancer, uh, certainly on a very personal note. I've, uh, you know, lost a a sister and a brother-in-law early to cancer, both who just had barely turned 60 and within 18 months. And uh, I lost, uh, you know, a father, a a mother-in-law. So for me, being aware that health policy is important, making changes 
in the health system to benefit individuals is key. And I felt that I had time in my life to dedicate some to working on the cancer cause. Oh, that's right. I think that's important. I always like to highlight the expertise of the different health experts we have on the show. And not only are you involved in the Canadian Cancer Society side, but you came from a background of health. Can you give me a bit of your career history? Sure. I uh, spent some wonderful years uh, in physiotherapy. I'm a physiotherapist, love the patient contact, uh, dealt uh, with very various population groups, geriatrics, pediatrics, intensive care, burn units. So I had seen a lot of the health system and realized that when you can make one policy change, you can benefit the lives of a lot of individuals. Mm -hmm. And I seemed to naturally gravitate towards trying to find system solutions. Mm -hmm. And so then I went into a small consulting firm with myself and others by project and uh, spent the last 25 years of my career trying to impact policy. That's amazing. And that's important. And, you know, one of the things that we're going to talk about today is where the direction of uh, alcohol awareness and education is going to go. And policy is obviously a big part of that. But before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about your own personal experience. And you decided to participate in the Canadian Cancer Society Dry February Challenge before. Can you tell me a little bit about that program? Sure. Um, you know, I think as it's important as a uh as a lead, as a chair of the board, I wanted to take on a personal initiative that helped to raise money and a bit of a, a model for the board as well, for others to either join my team or to contribute in some way themselves. So Dry Feb spoke to me for several reasons. Post-Christmas, I always like to do something for my health. And uh, for those that know me, I love a glass of wine. Mm -hmm. uh, so I thought, well, a little bit of pain for some gain would be good. And Dry Feb seemed to do that for me. So this is my third year participating. The first year, I would say, was the toughest. But the second year, I knew all the things to do. And uh, now the third year, I'm looking forward to it. So I do look forward to it. It's hard to believe. That's funny. Well, I guess there's a sense of clarity when it comes with it. I myself enjoy a glass of wine as well. So this is a very interesting topic for me because I know better, but I also enjoy a glass of wine, just like a lot of people do. You know, uh, what was the response from people, especially your friends and family, when you said, I'm not going to have any alcoholic beverages at all for the month of February? Well, my friends and family, friends in particular, wanted me to have a supervisor because mm -hmm. they're not sure they really believe that I would uh, survive the month. Uh -huh. without uh, cheating here and there. Yeah. So then I found out that in the Dry Feb campaign, friends could buy a golden ticket for you, which allowed you to have one drink on a special occasion. And they paid money to help you out. So that was a bit of a joke. <laughs> but uh, in all seriousness, uh, my friends and family were very curious. And I think it helped spur the fundraising. That's, that's great. You know, hopefully it didn't end up getting more golden tickets than you normally would have had for drinks because that kind of defeats the purpose, <laughs> but it probably raised some good money. Uh, how did you get support from people for this? Well, you know, I've, I'm, uh, you know, of the uh, older generation, as you can tell, I'm uh, semi-retired and uh, technology and online fundraising initiatives are never something I participated in. But the way DriveFeb is set up, it's just so easy to reach out to family and friends in a non-threatening way without putting them on the spot. Mm -hmm. uh, you can have some fun with it. And so I found it was just an excellent way uh, to try and raise some funds. I created a bit of a online 
uh, persona. So I went on Facebook, uh, used my Facebook uh, public post. Um, the the dry fed materials are easy to use. So you just put up a post and that went public. I added some quips and then I sent a personal email um, to individuals in my contact list and invited them to participate. Mm. And within a short amount of time, almost immediately the donations started coming in. Cool. I, I was shocked quite quite uh, honestly and in the end it got to be a challenge so with right. every post i sent out i managed to get a few more donations did, so i've learned a lot do you mind me asking how much you were able to raise over the couple of years no, so the the first year i was i think the first year i was just over two thousand. Wow. and the second year um i had several team members join me but personally i raised um over three Wow. About 34, and our team raised, there were three member team, we raised 51, 5,100. Mm -hmm. And this year, in the first eight days so far, I've raised 36, and it's just me, and it was in eight days. So now there's still another month. So my goal was three, it went to four, and who knows, maybe I'll get to five by myself. Well, for helping me out today for today's interview, you might get a golden ticket with my name on it. So, uh. oh, it would be so nice. Because everyone now thinks I don't need golden tickets. Oh, they, yeah, they exactly. just want to donate. But the reach every year is yeah. a little different. There's a core base of people that support me, uh, family and friends, and it's just contacts. Uh, there's no pressure. And they give what they can, and it all adds up. And uh, it's uh, a few more people that are impacted. And I think a lot of it is we're all impacted by cancer in some way. Mm -hmm. We know of someone, we have someone in our small circle. Um, and, you know, one in, uh, I think they say now two in five by, um, you know, are going to be impacted. And by 2030, there's going to be many of us that will be surviving cancer. That's right. And that's, that's right. because of what these funds do. That's right. And we're going to talk about that. I mean, my myself, I joined the board for uh, Newfoundland because my father passed away from pancreatic cancer, which is a disease which still yeah. really doesn't have any great outcomes, but they're starting to get there, but it requires funding. And I guess that's a really important question. When people donate to a cause like this with the mm -hmm. Canadian Cancer Society, where do the funds go? Yeah, I, you know, it was my question too. And, uh, you know, there's a feeling that every dollar raised should be spent in the province where it's raised. Mm -hmm. And I think what I've learned over my five years with the Cancer Society is when it comes to research, what we need is the best research in centers of excellence and then shared results so that we can act the curve and turn it in the right direction against cancer. Mm -hmm. And so research dollars, to me, it goes where it has to go, where the best research is being done. And the Canadian Cancer Society is very well known for funding the best quality research, meaning research that should have the most meaningful outcomes and outcomes that will help the population. Uh, when it comes to services and support, it, you know, it's a provincial basis. Many programs, like in my province, we provide transportation funds. I know in Newfoundland, uh, you provide funds for helping people uh, reach St. John's where, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of your core uh, programs and diagnostics go. In New Brunswick, uh, we have people that travel from the north. You know, it's five hours, four hours. It's a lot. So provincially, programs exist. Certainly impacting policy at a provincial level. In New Brunswick, we've had recent success on vaping legislation, which, um, you know, is really helping set the crown bills there. And I know Newfoundland, Nova Scotia, PEI have as well. Mm. So it can make a difference. And uh, 
every dollar counts. And for me, um, a combination of research, support, screening, and personalized interventions or treatment are what can turn the wave uh, in the right direction. That's Nancy McKay, chair of the Canadian Cancer Society Board in New Brunswick, who's also participated in the Dry February campaign in order to raise funds for research and improve health literacy around the risk of alcohol and cancer. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. We're here with Nancy McKay, chair of the Canadian Cancer Society Board in New Brunswick, who's also participated in the Dry February campaign in order to raise funds for cancer research and improve health literacy around the risk of alcohol and cancer. Let's check it out. Well, yeah, so you just hit a, a really important point, um, and that is about, you know, education and awareness. And, you know, the studies are saying that only one third of people know the link between alcohol and cancer. I was telling a previous guest that I did a poll on my Instagram with very health minded people. And yet, you know, 30% weren't aware about the link. Um, do you think the public is aware of the risk that alcohol and cancer play together? I don't actually. And uh, I mean, I can say when I started this three years ago, it wasn't because I was aware of the link. I thought it was a fun, interesting way to raise money and help the cause. And over the three years, this being my third year, I've now been reading more about the documented links. And mm -hmm. so I think it is important, everything in moderation. I don't think anyone, you know, is talking about, you know, we're not going back to prohibition days, but I think both with diet, exercise, alcohol, uh, we need to know the risks mm -hmm. and uh, certainly the benefits are evident. That's right. I mean, we cover all those different topics on the show. We some of it, I think alcohol is number eight when it comes to cancer causing mm -hmm. agents, including things like, well, of course, tobacco and and physical activity and, and our body composition and all sorts of different things, even sun exposure, you know, and, and vaccines mm -hmm. like HPV. So, um, you know, there are definitely risk factors that are there that we're aware of. Now, the question is that this research is starting to shed light that we do actually know that the alcohol is carcinogenic with your policy hat on from a New mm. Brunswick perspective. So, you know, we've had the Newfoundland perspective on this, but do you think that policy is going to shift towards greater education, maybe warning labels or other sort of uh, tools that sort of make alcohol a little bit more apparent that it has risks? Yeah, I think that, uh, I think it's a matter of time and, you know, it's very, as we all know, it's hard to shift our own individual behavior when it comes to public policy. Public policy is driven a lot by public sentiment as well. Mm -hmm. And so as the public becomes more aware and calls for policy to provide broader protection, we'll move in that direction. But some of the things that still we're having trouble with are, you know, nutritional labels. You know, it was a big fight to get our labels more evident nutrition wise, whether it's salt or sugar or trans fat, whatever the issue was. Uh, when it comes to smoking, the labeling on smoking, it took a lot of years, but now the labeling is much different than it was when I was younger, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, but it does take time. And I do think that we're going to get there with alcohol too. Mm -hmm. Personal choice, yes, but we need to know the risks. And with labeling, it's right in front of you. And with education, then you know what that labeling means. So that's some of the things that the Canadian Cancer Society has on its uh, top advocacy agenda is bringing awareness and education to people to help them make their individual choices. 
That's right. And I think that, you know, health literacy is such a broad uh, spectrum of, of different challenges people face. Um, but I think experiential learning is one of the best ways people can learn because they know for themselves. So let's talk about your experiential <laughs> learning with going on dry February two, yeah. two times in a row. How did you feel after you gave up alcohol, uh, you know, for a month? Well, I'm going to tell you, it's very interesting. So because that was one of my, uh, you know, one of the things that I was curious about. So I can say now with two years, two years of doing it, that the things that I would notice the most is I had a better appetite. Um, I slept better. My attention span or focus uh, was improved. And I'd say the third one is I just had more energy. Um, you know, alcohol is a, is a depressant. I mean, and you might not notice that when you have a glass of a beer or a glass of wine, but um, you know, if you are without alcohol intake, I just think overall, you just feel better. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you think about it too, like uh, in the summertime, when the sun is shining down, the weather's warm, it might not notice it as much, but when it's dark in yeah. February and cold and snowy, you don't need extra depressants. You've got it all built in with our time changes. So, uh, well, and uh, this year, you know, uh, we're in a lot anyway with all of our COVID restrictions. And so you add, uh, I found that this uh, fundraising adventure was a good way to, uh, to have some humor during, during uh, January leading into February and I'm home anyway. Yes. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's just a great initiative yeah. and, it is, I can tell you, it's lots of fun. Yeah, and you become more cognizant of it, of when and where, and become better at uh, being able to say, yeah, it's a treat. Oh, well, exactly. Now, my grandfather used to knock on doors for the Canadian Cancer Society way back in his day. And, uh, you know, he had to go and actually, you know, face-to-face -face ask for money, which many people are uncomfortable with. As soon as yeah. you say fundraising, they just go, no, not me. Yeah. This is such a friendly way to have people make a donation to something that they know is important. And it takes away all that um, uneasiness when you're face when you're face to face. So I would encourage yeah. anyone, if you're going to do it in Relay for Life now is also, uh, there's an online component. So this online fundraising works and it's very little commitment from the individual raising the money because all you do is post and you keep track but everything is embedded in the program. So it's, it's wonderful. Well, hit me one more time on how people can register to do their own dry February. So if you just uh, go into your online uh, search engine and you put in uh, dryfeb.ca, it pops up and then all of the information is there. It allows you to register yourself as an individual or as a team um, and you're linked. If you're an individual, you're a member of a team. So all the donation uh, comes into the individual and team tracking, and that's all done for you. So your job is to sign on, register, uh, put in why you're doing it, send it out, uh, post it on Facebook. Maybe that's all you want to do, but also you can go into your contacts and send a note to people with the link. It's very easy. That's fantastic. And it's obviously really important. I organized this interview through the national office and they connected me with yourself. They connected me with Emma, communications lead and Elizabeth. And it's been an absolutely fantastic conversation. So today I just wanted to say thank you very much for participating in, and for joining me and giving me a bit of personal That's great. insight. Yeah. Well, thanks, Mike. And uh, 
I'll get back to trying to hit beyond my 4,000 target, but I only have 400 to go. Then I got to bump it up again. So fun times ahead. Fantastic. Well, good luck and take care. Thanks very much, Mike. Thank you to my guests for joining me today and shedding light on the risks of alcohol when it comes to developing cancer. Research like what we've been seeing emerging from the World Health Organization and the COMPARE study may have us seeing changes in alcohol policy and maybe how we decide to consume it. What we do with respect to our lifestyle habits is our business, but it's always good to be informed as to the risks of those behaviors. I hope this information helps you make more informed decisions when it comes to consuming alcohol. Well, that's our show this week. I'm Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM.